says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the temple, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And Father, we ask as we open the word of God now and continue in our worship, just looking to you to speak into our life in a personal in a direct way that Lord you would by your spirit take every purpose and intent and reason behind why you recorded this account in your word and let it find its place into our heart on this very day and hour Lord perhaps that we might once again be amazed and wonder at the power of God at the works of the Lord that we'd have faith that's stirred to believe you for greater things in our lives. Lord, you know where we're at. We pray you take away the distractions in our minds and that which would cause us to want to think about something else other than what you might want to say to us today. Give us an expectant heart and an open ear, we ask. In Jesus' name, bless your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I don't mean to sound cliche in regards to things that Christians often say, but I think we should always remember that the Lord Jesus changes lives. The Lord Jesus changes lives. And when our Lord works in someone's life by the powerful ministry of his spirit, it produces radical life changes differences in a man, differences in a woman that are absolutely evident to onlookers. People are left wondering, like here in this count, wondering and amazed what has happened to him. What has happened to her? I remember what they were like or I knew them before this. What has happened to that person? Something evident has taken place a man's life after years in the same condition in this story is powerfully changed and transformed by the Lord. We find here an illustration of this very reality that the Lord Jesus changes lives. We find a man in this account who people knew in a condition for years and years and now by the power of the Lord, he's changed. He's transformed. The story, I think, is here to encourage us to believe and hope for the same life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in all of our lives today in this generation as well. Remember our backdrop as we finished chapter 2 together last time 
we kind of got a snapshot the Holy Spirit gave to us, sort of this summarization uh, of a picture of what was kind of going on in the earliest stages of the church. After Jesus ascended back into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and Peter preached Christ and 3,000 souls, it says, were added to the church that day. And now you have all these Christians, this gathering of brand new believers that has expanded numerically. But what were they doing? What was taking place? And we saw the end of chapter two there, this beautiful picture the Holy Spirit preserved for us to kind of show us of what the church looked like in its embryonic stage, in its earliest stages, kind of in its purest form, what was happening. We saw the activities of the believers that they were engaged in there in chapter 2, verse 42, that they were continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the word of God and in fellowship, spiritual care and ministry one to another and in breaking bread, sharing meals and celebrating communion and spending time together in prayer and then we saw in the remainder of chapter two then kind of the atmosphere that created among the church as a result and one of the identifying marks remember we saw last time of the atmosphere of the early church was that the power of god was at work amongst them we saw last time where it said there specifically that they were experiencing many wonders and signs being done through the apostles. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ was at work among the early church. People's lives were changing. People weren't remaining the same. There was transformation of individuals. People were being saved. People were you know, overcoming habits and difficulties and lives were being changed and transformed in various different ways because the power of the Lord was at work. It was almost as if Jesus was just continuing his ministry that he had been doing on earth for the last three and a half years even though he wasn't physically present anymore because the reality was he was still present. He was now present spiritually in what we call the body of Christ through Christians who were now experiencing the indwelling presence of the Lord by the Spirit. And now Jesus was just using different people's bodies to do his same ministry. He was using people to still speak and he was using people to touch and minister and go to places. And Jesus' ministry was continuing to help and change and save people. Now he's doing it through the instrumentality of individual followers who became his ministers and servants. And Luke records this event here in chapter 3 that happened during these days, which really is an illustration of the power of the Lord being at work to bring transformation to a life. Look with me back in verse 1 as the story opens. It says, now Peter and John went up together, and I like that picture there, two believers, two brothers in Christ, together going out, not to just serve the Lord, but going together now to a time of worship and a prayer meeting. I like that kind of picture of a accountability there and two brothers in Christ together uh, going up, it says, to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So here we're going to see Here's the human instruments that will be used by the Lord Jesus to bring about this powerful work of transforming a man's life that day. We see it was Peter and John. And what do we find them doing in verse one? It says they're going up to the house of God together for a prayer meeting. The text says there, Peter and John went to the temple 
at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, when the Bible says there the ninth hour, it's a reference to 3 p.m. We know that because the Jews measured their day typically from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So when they measured their day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., if you start at 6 a.m., you add nine hours of that, you bring yourself to 3 p.m. And this would be a very typical time to rest and to maybe gather together for a time of prayer because typically in that culture as well, the hottest part of the day was around 3 p.m. And a lot of times they would cease from their labors to this day still. In cultures where it's hot, Mideastern climates, this is a common practice. They will work and then kind of the middle but the part of the day, the hottest part of the day, they'll take a break and they'll kind of eat a meal and relax and they'll return to work again when the temperature starts to go down. So here we have it's 3 p.m. And we find now Peter and John going up to the temple, it says, because it was the hour of prayer. The idea there is a set time to pray. We might say it was the scheduled prayer meeting. I don't know if it was in their church bulletin or not, but it was the scheduled prayer meeting. It was the hour of prayer, an appointed time where people knew that they would get together and pray. And part of the worship practice of the Jews was to hold scheduled times for prayer. And we see them still doing this even after their conversion to Christ. The Jews had set hours when they would gather together for prayer meetings, scheduled times to seek God together in prayer. In fact, Daniel chapter 6 <clears throat> Excuse me, we see this in the lifestyle and the routine of Daniel, who was a very godly man. And even when Daniel is uprooted from Israel and brought to a foreign land, it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, that with his windows open toward Jerusalem, Daniel knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days so even when daniel was brought to babylon as a godly jewish young man he was just a teenager when he was brought there daniel maintained this spiritual routine this life discipline where three times out of his day he would go and he would drop to his knees and look towards jerusalem where he'd been uprooted from his homeland and he would just spend some time in prayer thanking god and seeking god even after making a decision to follow christ as I said, we still see now in our text this commitment in the early church. There was a clear mark that was a part of the healthiness of the early church where they spent time in prayer. We already saw in Acts chapter 1, the believers meeting together in the upper room and continuing in one accord in prayer. We saw last time in Acts chapter 2 where it said they continued steadfastly, that is, they were devoted to prayer. Now we come to Acts chapter 3 and we find Peter and John going together up to the house of God at the hour of prayer. We're going to see in the next chapter where they experience some persecution and they all assemble together and they pray and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak the word of God with renewed boldness in their community. So we see this clear mark and I like this illustrated practically Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer attending a prayer meeting that day that seemed to be their customary spiritual routine and i'm thankful that the bible sets this before us showing us how these early believers maintained this discipline of assembling for times of prayer together the value of going to the house of god spending time in a prayer meeting and let me just say it is important for all of us 
as followers of the Lord to maintain in our life and participate in both certainly private and personal prayer where we get alone with the Lord, maybe in our you know, time during the day or maybe a few times throughout the day or maybe in given situations where we just get alone and we have a time of personal private prayer. But it is also important that we participate as well in times where we assemble together with other Christians and we gather for a meeting of prayer, whether it's a scheduled meeting, we set time, we know and we go and we gather for that prayer meeting or whether maybe something happens and we meet together. And I would just say by way of application, and that's what we should do with the word of God this morning, you do the inventory. If you were to evaluate your current spiritual life in this area of routine and discipline, what grade would you give yourself this morning? What grade would you give yourself this morning in regards to not just personal prayer time, but saying, you know, hey, uh, uh, beyond praying personally, maybe I'm also supposed to pray with other believers corporately because that is God's will for us. There is something that God intends and designs where two or three gather in his name. And he says, I'm in the midst. And when you agree together, things will be done. My authority will be exercised. And we see the believers not just praying independently, but also the value of disciplining themselves to assemble together like this, coming together for this scheduled prayer meeting as Peter and John come this day. Now, before we move on, let me make one other application because I think it's a very wonderful thing that we should pay attention to. Notice also, here's Peter and John. They will be used by the Lord in this powerful way to minister and bring about a, a life change for this man that the Lord wants to do. But let me say this in light of that. Notice the Lord often uses those who are available, those who are accessible, those who are actually at his disposal. You might very fairly say the Lord Jesus wanted to work this day. Jesus wanted to do some ministry and Jesus wanting to do some ministry to minister in a powerful way to change someone's life needs someone to work through. And because Peter and John came to the temple that day, they had no idea this was going to transpire. This man probably was passed by many other times, but because they came to the temple that day and they were there in attendance at church or the prayer meeting, you might say, simply because they were around, they got used. Because they were available, they were accessible for the Lord to utilize them and to do ministry. And it was their availability that in many ways made them someone who the Lord was able to work through and do ministry. Because they were present and available, it made them accessible to be a vessel when the Lord wanted to work and do some ministry. Hey, let me say something that is very practical but very true. I believe probably a good 50% of being used by the Lord is typically mainly just about being around being available, making yourself accessible because the Lord wants to work and the Lord wants to do ministry and it's just making yourself available to be utilized in the moment. Let me ask you a question. This morning, do you say, I want to be used by the Lord. I, I wish I could be used by the Lord more. Well, make yourself available. <laughs> make yourself available. When you're available, you're present, you're around and something comes up. Hey, somebody needs to be prayed for or something needs to be done or somebody needs to, to minister and the opportunity presents itself. If you're present, then the Lord can tap you and say, hey, could you do that? Could you pray for this person? Could you go talk to that person? Could you take care of this? And when opportunities arrive, because a lot of times ministry opportunities arrive spontaneously. 
They come about unexpectedly. And because they were there, they were present, they get the wonderful privilege to be used by Jesus this day. Well, verse 2, we meet who gets a life change. It says, verse 2, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, who, it says, they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. We don't know exactly what gate that was. It was just referred to as the Beautiful Gate that day. And they laid him there, verse 2, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So here we meet the man who Jesus intended to powerfully bring about a life change for that day. We notice his condition very clearly in verse 2. It says that he was lame. That means he was paralyzed, crippled. He was unable to walk. And it says he had been in that condition, verse 2, from his mother's womb. That is, he had had this condition of paralysis from birth. It wasn't as if something happened or his health deteriorated. This man, understand, he was born with this condition. His whole life he had been like this. In fact, chapter 4, we're going to learn there, as they refer to this man, that he had been in this paralyzed condition for 40 years, approximately. So imagine, uh, upwards to four decades, he had been dealing with this condition. And it says, because of this paralyzed condition, they used to carry him everywhere, we're told there. That is, he lived completely dependent upon others. He couldn't even function independently. And it says daily they would go and set him at the beautiful gate of the temple that he was situated where worshipers would be going in and out of the temple. The reason, verse 2 says, so that he could look at it there, ask alms. And alms were basically donations or money given to the poor. So that he could ask for money or donations from those who were entering into the temple. Again, being crippled physically, he was unable to work in the fields in that day. He was unable to stand and work in the marketplace. His condition made him completely dependent upon other people. He was unable to work and understand. Again, don't think of our culture. In that day, there were no government assistance programs. There was no such thing as a disability check or social security or welfare assistance to sustain this man in this condition. He was completely dependent upon the love and the care of his family and his friends to take care of him or other charity help. He was reduced, we see here, to humbly begging daily, hoping just hoping that a few people would pass by and show some charity and kindness to share something to alleviate his ministry. And typically the temple or the house of God where people worshiped was a good place to position someone if they were going to beg in this situation for money because it was assumed or expected that God's people would probably be a little more inclined to show mercy and help than the guy at the marketplace. That's why they didn't situate you in the marketplace. They put you at the temple because the thought was, hey, probably much better chance statistically that somebody might give you a donation or help you out in some way and be more generous in giving. So this was strategic for those who were begging. They strategically would be positioned there at the temple of God. Now imagine, if you would, what this guy's life would be like suffering like this for decade upon decade. Having been born in this condition, growing up as a young boy, looking at others, running around, playing tag, playing football, jumping around, and wondering, why can't I do that? Why was I born like this? When, when will I ever have the capacity to be able to experience those things? And this lifestyle that he became accustomed to that he couldn't change. 
That there was nothing he could do. And wondering and hoping, and I imagine even having seen and heard at this point historically about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was healing other people. That other lame people like John 5 had been raised up and they were now walking around and that Jesus had healed people who were blind and people with sicknesses and diseases and yet wondering, why am I still in this state? Perhaps maybe even where he was, it's possible Jesus walked by and passed this man many times and yet he never received a healing. What kind of things were going through his mind? Had he lost hope? Had he figured he would just always be like this? Had he come to a place maybe in his life where he thought, well, I guess my condition will just never change. And I don't know about you, but it's very likely this morning that perhaps you can relate to that man in some manner in your personal life where maybe there has been something in your life, a condition, a situation, a state that has been that way for a long time. And you have found yourself wondering why and how come it hasn't changed and Can it ever change and will it ever change? And that's a hard thing to carry around. And here this man living under this burden in his life year after year. Look at verse 3. It says, That day, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. So this crippled man, like many other days and times before, works the same routine. This is all he knows. Every time somebody passed by, seeking what he can to just get by one more day, he asked Peter and John now for a donation this day as they entered the temple. And little did he know that the Lord intended to give him way more than just a few dollars that day. He had no idea what he was about to experience. Verse 4 says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter, in response to this request, said to him, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So at this point, take notice, Peter is stirred within. He's prompted, I believe, by the Spirit of the Lord, and Peter pauses and he senses from the Holy Spirit The Lord Jesus wants to do something here. And he senses from the Spirit of God that the Lord wants to help this man, but not in the way he was actually asking for and not in the way he was expecting. He realized something was going on. Again, likely crowds passed by this man repeatedly, the same routine phrase. Maybe Peter and John passed this guy many a times before going up to the prayer meeting at the temple hoping every day this man periodically somebody would just pause and give him a donation and as Peter and John received the request that day it seems Peter prompted by the Holy Spirit must have paused and he pauses at this moment because it says there in verse 4 fixing his eyes on him that is Peter kind of pauses and he just his attention is riveted on this man And he just begins to look at him and he's sensing that God is wanting to do something. The Lord stirs Peter's heart with a unique compassion, sensing that God wants to be gracious and he's sensing the Lord wants to help and work in this guy's life in a powerful, unique way. And why? Because Jesus is living within his servant and Jesus is wanting to do something and he's going to do it now through Peter's life as a human instrument. And so Peter, you could say, it's like Peter's radar screen picks up this man. And his spiritual radar, this man just locks in on his radar and Peter realizes the Lord wants to do something here. 
The Lord wants to minister to this person. And I don't know, maybe perhaps as a Christian, if you seek to be open to the Lord, maybe you sense that before in your life where you're going about your day or maybe you're talking to somebody at work or a situation arises and it's almost like you sense in your spirit a prompting from the Lord. You sense from the Holy Spirit that there's something the Lord may want to do and somebody kind of gets locked in on your radar screen and you can totally tell the Lord wants to minister to that person. Again, whether it's sharing the gospel with them or offering to pray for them or but you kind of just have that internal prompting where, where the Lord locks this person on your radar screen. The Lord wants the Lord wants me to help this person here. The Lord wants me to minister, and you can kind of sense that. And Peter, sensing this leading from the Lord, now acts in faith in our verse to initiate to move things forward. Notice it says that he called for this man's attention, verse 4, and said to him, look at us. And it's therefore he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now, I look at the story and what's described there, and I think what a beautiful picture the Holy Spirit lays out there. Take notice of two things here as this event's unfolding. You have a spirit-filled believer in Peter who says to an unconverted soul, a man, look at us. I like that. Look at us. I genuinely believe that as Christians, that's something we should be able to say to people with confidence. As Christians, we should be able to say to unsaved people who have need of the Lord in their life, look at us. Look at us. That we would be willing to have people's attention upon us. That we would not say, don't look at us. Don't, don't look at us. What, what, are you trying to judge us? What, what, everybody makes mistakes. And, and a lot of times we have more of that out there. Like we get upset when people want to look at us and evaluate what Christianity is about. Oh, why are you trying to judge us? Because they're supposed to. We're supposed to be witnesses for Christ. We're supposed to be living illustrations of what it means to live for Jesus and who Jesus is like. So really we should be saying, look at us. We want you to look at us because we want to demonstrate what Christ is like by our actions and our nature and our love and our words that we want to be a good testimony and not a poor testimony. So I think we should be able to say to people, look at us. And I think as well, as verse 5 describes, it says that he looked at them, giving his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So again, I think too, people should actually expect to receive something from Christians. As ambassadors of the Lord, we should have a reputation as those who actually have something to give, who actually have something to impart to people, that we would be known as followers of the Lord as giving and helpful people, that we have something worth sharing that will benefit other people, that we actually have something to contribute. We should be viewed as those in our culture who want to bless people who want to serve people in Jesus' name. Again, not being known as Christians or as the church as those who are always asking for the handout or seeking the donation. You know, I have a a bizarre conviction. I always have, as long as I've been in ministry, where, you know, something goes on and maybe a church is doing something or an activity and somebody in the church will say, hey, do you want me to go to such and such or go there and ask for maybe the donation or if they'll donate? And I say, no, I I really don't want to do that. Because I don't want to be known in the, ch- in the community as the church that's always asking for something. I want to be known as those, like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
So when we do something like what we did over in Atlantic City for a few months where we rented a building, look, we don't say, hey, well, could you help or anybody want to donate or contribute? No, we just do it. And the Lord provides and you do it. The Lord, and, and you want to be known as, wow, these people came in here and they just bless people and love people and serve people and they gave. They, they're giving. They're generous. They want to serve. That's the reputation that we want to have. That we're not those asking for things. We're the ones wanting to give, wanting to help. That people would look to us expecting to receive from us. Expecting that Christians in the church wants to love and help and serve people. So he's looking expectantly. Now again, he's pausing, looking at Peter and John. He asks this request. Peter says, look at us. And verse 5, again, he gave him his attention, expecting that he was going to receive a donation that day from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately, it says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So Peter says, I actually don't have what you're asking for. I know you're asking for a donation. I know you're wanting some financial help, but look at it in the text. Peter says there's silver and gold I do not have. Peter says, I honestly can't help you financially right now, but that doesn't mean that I can't help you. It doesn't mean I can't still minister to you. It doesn't mean I can't contribute or offer something that would still be a benefit to you, for I can share with you what is the much deeper need in your life and that's the need of the Lord the need of the power of the Lord and his provision to address and help anything and to experience his life-changing power that's why we read there in verse 6 that Peter said silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk again Peter walked with Jesus for three and a half years as I referenced earlier, I think Peter kept in mind experiences like John chapter 5, where they went to the pool of Bethesda and a bunch of sick and lame and, and unhealthy people and paralyzed individuals were laying around. And Jesus walked up to one man who had been in that condition, again, for almost 40 years. And Jesus said to a man that day, do you want to be made well? And of course, the man started giving all the reasons and excuses and, and then Jesus said to him, rise, pick up your mat. In other words, you're never going to go back to that condition again. Rise, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was miraculously healed of his paralyzed condition. And Peter thought, I remember that. I remember when the Lord did that. No doubt Peter remembered other occasions where he saw Jesus powerfully just change people's life. And now... Jesus is working still. He's living within his followers and, and he stirs Peter's heart. And Peter's heart is stirred in faith here and the spirit of the Lord, no doubt prompting and speaking within him, Peter senses Jesus wants to still do this for people. Jesus still wants to help people. Jesus still wants to change people's lives. And so Peter in obedient faith in the leading of the Lord commands this man publicly, it says there, in the name and the authority of Jesus to rise up and walk. And this man receives 
a miraculous work of the Lord in his life. Notice Peter didn't just say this optimistically because look at verse 7. He commanded him to receive the power of the Lord to rise up and walk and then he took him by the right hand, lifted him up and immediately, Dr. Luke tells us because he was a doctor, it amazed him, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So Peter confidently pulls this man up lifts up this paralyzed man after saying this and the miraculous, life-changing, healing power of Jesus Christ changes his life. Instantaneously, it resolved a long-standing problem. Immediately, instantaneously, he was changed. He was healed. Again, Luke, a medical doctor, said immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. In other words, it was a miracle of the Lord. It was a miracle of the power of God. What which was once weak and crippled and powerless becomes instantaneously corrected and healed and life is infused and this man is changed. Literally changed in a moment. His condition was healed instantly when Jesus touched his life. When Jesus touched his life, instant change. Take notice. No process. No therapy sessions here. This is just an immediate, instantaneous, miraculous life change. And listen, only the Lord Jesus has the authority and the power to do that in someone's life. To bring immediate change. To take a helpless condition and transform a person so they can be different. And let me say this morning, we need to remember the Lord has the power to still do such if he so chooses to whether it is perhaps a physical healing in someone's life or maybe a mental or emotional healing that needs to take place in someone's life. Maybe it's a deliverance of some life condition that's kept a person in some kind of paralyzed state for years where some condition or a struggle with substance abuse or just something that's going on in their life where they've just kind of been crippled and paralyzed in that condition for years. Jesus can instantaneously change a person's life. Instantaneously. I don't know, perhaps some of you this morning have seen and experienced the power of the Lord to bring instantaneous change in your life. Where when the Lord worked in your life, what you were, who you were, immediately changed. Because the power of the Lord brought that change to pass. And how wonderful that Jesus has such authority to do that. Now, in this scene where Peter's used by the Lord to bring about this miraculous healing from Jesus, we also take note here a few of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in his ministry and operation described in 1 Corinthians 12. For example, one of the gifts of the Spirit we see in operation here is what we would call the gift of faith. The gift of faith in this situation. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of faith by the same Spirit. Now, the spiritual gift of faith is not a reference to a Christian who just seems to really have a spirit of optimism. And some Christians are like that. You know, my wife tends to be like that more than me. She just has a very optimistic, hopeful spirit, childlike faith. I always say when I need something, ask Trish to pray for it. Just because she just has this optimistic spirit of faith. And look, that's wonderful. And, and that some people have a real disposition that just tends to exercise faith and believe God for things. But that's not the spiritual gift of faith. The spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit's gift of faith 
is what we see happening in this text here where there are unique occasions that arise where a person is infused by the Spirit of God with supernatural confidence to just believe in a given situation in an extraordinary way that God's going to do something amazing. And it's an extraordinary measure of faith, sort of a supercharged measure of faith is deposited by the Spirit into the heart of a follower of Christ to just genuinely and strongly believe the Lord is going to do something incredible. That the Lord wants to work and He has the power to do it and the Holy Spirit prompts them therefore to step out and believe and to actually act because they believe that something's going to come to pass. This is what we see happening with Peter here. Jesus wants to heal this crippled man. Peter experiences the gift of faith. He's infused with extraordinary faith in that moment to sincerely believe that the Lord is going to raise up and heal miraculously this man who's been paralyzed for 40 years so publicly, again, put yourself in the story, publicly, in front of all those witnesses in the temple, Peter, it says here, is so confident, he commands this paralyzed man to rise up and walk in the power and name of Jesus, but that's not enough. Verse 7, he then took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, Peter has to be experiencing the gift of faith there. Could you imagine if it didn't work? I mean, that would be but one thing to just say, I command you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Because then Peter could just walk away and say, well, it may happen a week from now, a month from now. It was just a prayer request. You know? But Peter commands him to rise up and walk, and then he grabs a paralyzed man. Like, how uncompassionate would that be if you picked him up and he just fell back down? He grabs this man and he lifts him up because the Spirit of God is putting the gift of faith in his heart and he's just moved to believe that God was going to do something extraordinary. The gift of faith, look, is not just limited to miraculous healing. It can transpire in other ways as well. It's not just for a miracle or so forth of healing, but it is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit that can come to pass in a believer's life. We're in a given situation. A believer is just infused, as I said, by the Spirit with a supernatural confidence to strongly believe the Lord for something incredible. And just to totally have a sense of confidence, it's going to come to pass. The Lord wants to work. He has the power to do this. And it's evidenced by then acting upon it obediently. That's how you can tell that it's the gift of faith. Because you don't just say you believe. You actually act upon it. And then it happens. And it comes to pass. And people's minds are blown. And it was that gift of faith that was operating in someone's life. Of course, we also see here in our text, not just the gift of faith... But we also see here one of the Lord's what we call gifts of healings that's displayed here. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there will be gifts, plural, of healings, plural, by the Spirit. Now, again, as we've said before, let me say again, the Bible does not teach that there would be a gift of being a healer. It says gifts of healings would be distributed on occasion by the Spirit of the Lord. The Bible does not teach that there would be a gift of being a healer whereby you can heal whoever and whenever you want, like possessing a superpower, like a superhero. And you always possess that superpower. Peter, John, others, we see them used by the Lord at times to bring about a miraculous healing. But we also see in the scripture they could not go around and just heal anybody they wanted to whenever they wanted to on a whim. They didn't have a superpower to just heal people. But on occasion, the Bible says, God will graciously give out gifts, 
on occasion, as he determines it's in line with his purpose, where someone needs a healing physically, a situation arises and the spirit distributes miraculous power in a given situation and gives forth one of God's gracious gifts to heal somebody on this side of eternity. And he will use the instrumentality of a believer who's yielded, maybe who prays for someone or like Peter here in this situation where the believer just becomes the human instrument where the spirit distributes one of these gifts of God's periodic healings on earth and it comes to pass as he uses a channel. Look, I do not understand to this day still exactly why and how the Lord heals in certain situations and why and how he doesn't heal in other situations. I don't understand that fully, but let me just say this. I think we need to keep believing that the Lord has the power to work. And just because we don't understand why he does this time or why he does for that person, then he doesn't for this person or that time, let's not fly way to the other side and, and just never be open and ask God to heal anymore. Or never be open and believe God for a miracle anymore. We need to trust that with the Lord and keep believing he has the power to work as he chooses and trust his sovereignty. And I think the point of this story above all else is just reminding us Jesus has the power to change lives in various ways. Not just a physical healing, but he has the power to change lives in many ways. In all kinds of situations when he deems it's right to do such and we need to stay expectant and prayerful and have hopeful hearts of faith at times to believe the Lord can do mighty works today for your life that you would be willing to believe Lord I, I believe Lord I don't have a physical condition but I've been stuck in this condition forever I've been struggling with this sin forever listen if the sun sets you free you shall be free indeed you understand? I guess this just will always be like my Achilles heel. No, it does not have to always be your Achilles heel. The Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you. There is still power to overcome sin and struggles and conditions and, and not be kept in a condition of paralysis your whole life. I guess I'll just always be like this. I'll always struggle with this. Listen, don't believe that. Why not instead believe that the power of the Lord is still real and he's the same today as he was in that day and he loves you just as much. And that he wants to work in your life. Or maybe someone that you're concerned about. Don't stop praying for them. Believe the Lord can work in their life. Don't just write them off. Oh, they'll always be like that. That's not true. Maybe the Lord wants to do something mighty in their life. Maybe we need to be the one to be sensitive and keep praying and be hopeful. Well, this man senses the power of the Lord at work. And look at verse 8. What happens? It says, so he leaping up, I imagine so, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. So I guess you could dance in church in that day. Walking, leaping, and praising God. So literally, I mean, he starts testing out these brand new legs. I mean, this guy, again, all of a sudden, after 40 years, he's got freedom from something that was a condition that could never change in his life. All of a sudden now, he's walking, leaping in joyful celebration, enjoying the change of life, and so much so, notice his experience, led him to celebrate by doing what? It says he went into the temple with them, and he was praising God. What was his way of showing gratitude to God? Worship. Worship. 
because the Lord had done something powerful to make his life different. The Lord had changed him and his natural response was he wanted to be with the Lord's people and he wanted to praise God. Nobody had to tell him. I love this. Peter didn't have to say, hey, now listen, the Lord has worked in your life. We would recommend that you start coming to church services to grow in your new relationship. We would recommend, you know, on occasion, you might want to maybe come to a prayer meeting. The Lord worked in this guy's life and the only thing you think about, I gotta praise God, man. Look what the Lord did in my life. I, I, and it was just a natural response that he wanted to worship. He wanted to seek God and here his life had been changed. He's jumping around. This man thought that he was going to get a few dollars and the Lord gave him a brand new life. A brand new life. And I love this scene too because it shows the Lord graciously and powerfully did way more than that guy ever expected. He was expecting, well, it'd be great if I get a couple dollars. Thank you, Lord. And the Lord did above and beyond. Again, oftentimes the Lord wants to do above and beyond. Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I love that. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could ask or think by his power that works within us. You know, sometimes I wonder if I don't come to the Lord and I'm asking the Lord to do something that I'm thinking would be neat if he does and he says, that's all? That's all you think I could do? I mean, I actually kind of like to do a little more than that. Could you ask a little more? Could you set the bar a little higher? I am God. <laughs> and And... How many times, you know, we're hoping and asking the Lord to work in a certain way and, and he just goes above and beyond. And this man here, I mean, talk about way more than you were ever thinking. But yet again, the Lord has that same love and gracious heart towards us. Well, look how our story concludes. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was him who sat there begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. I imagine they were at what had happened to him. So all the people saw the evidence of this man's changed condition and knowing who this man was and the condition he had been in for years, that's why verse 10 says, because they knew this man, that they were filled with wonder and amazement as to what had happened to him. They knew this guy. They knew who he'd always been. And they're kind of struck with curiosity thinking, what happened to him? What in the world happened to this guy? How did he change like this? And their spiritual curiosity is aroused because they see the evident life change. And here's the thing. The wonderful thing is the Lord Jesus, we'll see as the chapter goes on next week, he now uses this event as a platform to be able to let Peter preach Christ to a whole big multitude of people that are assembled. See, God gets a lot of mileage out of things that he does. God powerfully heals this man and then everybody's attention is stirred and curiosity is aroused and then Peter says, oh, let me explain to you who did this, what happened. And I love that reality because look, the life change of one man strategically was used by the Lord to reach multitudes. Now think about that in light of this man. For years, a long period of time, lots of struggling, questions, waiting, wondering, and then his day comes. Then it's his day. And for so long, he had wondered, why, Lord? 
And how come? And when? Lord, why is it always got to be like this? Is it ever going to change? Will it ever change? And all the while, the Lord had this day on his calendar, this set day, when it would be the best day to do this for the greatest mileage for God. And on that set day, that day on God's calendar, this strategic occasion, the Lord does this. And as the result, as I said, God perfectly orchestrates being able to reach a whole bunch of people because God waited for that set day to work in his life. Look again this morning, perhaps you can relate to this man in some way. Maybe you've been struggling in some situation in your life for some time and wondering. Let me just say, listen, you never know when your day might come. Oh, Lord, listen, the Lord does things at the best time, at the appointed time. Trust his timing, believe who he is, let him be in control and trust that perhaps the Lord's looking at things even beyond you and that he always does things for the greater glory.